0: y'all having fun so far? What? I heard one person say, are y'all having fun so far? Yeah. There we go. That's better. Um, <laughs> I'm glad y'all are having fun so far. It's a good day. And I think I've said that 15 times. I don't know if I've said it enough. Um, and today's a good day. I told y'all to love each other, but don't love each other that much. Um, so, Um, That's what we're going to talk about today um, during our time together, and just so you all know, I know what time it is, and we'll move pretty quick. Um, I do want to talk about love, though. It seems like it's kind of an important topic, um, both given what we've already participated in today and what we celebrate Um, not just at Christmas, but year round, uh, love is kind of a big deal. So, um, I think it's worth talking about today. So today is the fourth week of Advent. This is our third week in this series. And just so you all know, next week is Christmas. Next week is Christmas again, 10 o'clock next week. Okay. Um, but I thought it would be, um, I think it's perfect that we are talking about love today, um, given we just celebrated the love of Christ as we celebrated with baptism, we celebrate the love of Christ by receiving communion, and then we show love for one another because Christ loved us, right? Um, so I thought this was the perfect day to be talking about love. Um, but as I uh, kind of thought about the topic of love, I thought instead of talking about love directly, we're going to talk about the ramifications of love, um, some of the ramifications of love now, and there's a reason for that. Um, I started thinking about, about love and Advent, and my mind went back to two years ago, whenever I preached on this topic. And most of y'all probably won't remember that, so there's no quiz, no worries. Um, that's good. That's <laughs> good. Nobody remembers. Actually, I bet some of you do remember, because I did something different that day. I sang to y'all that Sunday. Um, So some of you might remember that. Specifically, Ben might remember that, because he was the only one who knew the artist who did the song I sang. It was just a line, yeah. I sang, what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Ah, yes! (laughs) All right, and does anybody outside of Ben know who sang that song? Ben, who sings a song? Hadaway. Hadaway, still the only one. See, I told you all you didn't listen. Um, So, uh, I, yeah, anyway, we talked about love, and then I also sang, what's love got to do with it? Yeah, okay, anyway, it has everything to do with it, is the answer, just so you know. Um, But what I would like to do today is talk about the ramifications of love by looking at, uh, at an exceptionally important question. An exceptionally important question. Um, And I would contend that this is a question that millions, if not billions of people are asking. So, this question may, if you want to put it differently, this is the question. Okay, and that's what I want to do today. If you open your Bibles with me, um, we're going to be in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10 today. Um, And here in Luke 10, starting in verse 25, Jesus addresses this question that I think that we have to see the answer to. And he answers this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So what I would like to do just in the next little bit is I would like to explore this question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Okay, Um, so as I was already thinking about this, I came to youth group Wednesday night. Um and Colby's already shared with you some and I'm I didn't ask his permission, but I'm gonna quote Colby again um because he said something that I assumed was true, but I had never actually looked at the numbers, um and he said it in a very Colby sort of way. Um and those of you who know Colby, you know what I'm talking about. So it's not gonna sound quite like him, but this is a rough quote from Colby. He he said this thing. He said, um he said, Atheists make a lot of noise, but they are a minority. He said, Most people believe in a higher power. Is that close to what you said? Okay, that's pretty close. Okay, atheists make a lot of noise, but they're a minority. Most people believe in a higher power. And again, I assumed that was true. I assume that's true. Um, but I never actually really like, paid attention to the numbers, so I did some digging this week. And by the way, it won't take you very long to find it. Um, if you just do a quick Google search, you'll find that most people do, in fact, believe in some form of higher power. Some form of God, if you will. I found this Gallup poll that was published back in June, and it said that 81% of Americans, when asked if they believed in God, 81% of Americans said yes. 81%. That is a huge majority. Most Americans would say they believe in God. Now, there were varying degrees of certainty. So I thought, okay, well, some of these are probably like, well, yeah, I think I believe, but I'm not sure. And that's kind of what I assumed. So I looked a little bit further, and they gave some, some other answers that were options here with this question. Whenever they were given the options to say, yes, I believe in God, no, I don't believe in God, or they could say, I'm not sure about that, still 79% said, yes, I believe in God. Okay, that's almost 80% of Americans saying, I believe in God. Even whenever they're able to say, I'm just not sure, they still said that they believed in God. Now, there's a problem. I found that only about a quarter of Americans attend religious religious services regularly. A quarter. 25%. And now, I also have to keep in mind that that 25%, that's not all Christians. That would be other faiths also. Only a quarter of people said they attended religious services regularly, even though 80% said they believe in God. Now, I'm not saying that attending religious services is going to save you. That's not the point. The point is, we have a disconnect, don't we? So I did some further digging, and I was curious about this question about uh, how do I inherit eternal life. So I did some further digging, and I asked how many Americans actually believe in some kind of life after death? Like that there's something beyond this physical life here on earth. How many Americans believe that? And I found this study by the Barna Group, and it said that 81%, almost the same number as believe in God, 81% said they believe in an afterlife, and another 9% said that an afterlife, and I quote, might exist, but they are unsure. In other words, 90% of Americans are saying, yeah, there's probably some kind of life after death. 90%. That means that 90% believe that there could be life after death. However, 25%, say so they have no idea what's going to happen to them after they die. A quarter of Americans, they believe in an afterlife, but they're not sure what's going to happen to them whenever they die. They just don't know. Further, the problems are really pretty extreme as we dig a little bit deeper. It says that less than half of those who believe that they will spend eternity in heaven... Okay, keep this in mind. Less than half of those people who say <clears throat> I'm going to spend eternity in heaven or I'm going to spend eternity with God, that's kind of how they defined heaven was eternity with God. Um, when they were asked, less than half of them said that it was by uh, solely because of confession of sin and reception of Jesus as their savior. Yeah, less than half of those who said they were going to spend eternity with God believed it was solely because of Christ. You see the problem. Um, and even among those who did say that they believed it was solely because of confession of sin and reception of Christ, even among those, there seemed to be a great deal of confusion. Um, at the end of the study, George Barna himself actually made this this comment, and he said this. He said, many committed born-again Christians believe that people have multiple options for gaining entry to heaven. They are saying, in essence, personally, I am trusting in Christ as my means of gaining God's permanent favor and place in heaven, but someone else could get to heaven based upon living an exemplary life. Millions of Americans have redefined grace to mean that God is so eager to save people from hell that he will change his nature and his universal principles for their individual benefit. It is astounding how many people develop their faith according to their feelings or cultural assumptions rather than biblical teachings. Church, I, what I want to make sure that we're doing, especially as we talk about love and we answer this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I want to be sure we are basing the answer to that question on what Scripture says, not what culture tells us. What does the Bible say? What does God say in His Word? Which is why today as we focus on God's love, I don't want there to be any confusion. So I'm going to do my best to be clear today. Um, <laughs> Not like I don't do that most weeks. I do my best. Some of you are like, Jared, you need to do better about being clear. Um, I'm going to do my best to be clear, especially today. Um, and as we do this, I want to ask that same question that was posed to Jesus about 2000 years ago. And I want to pose this question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? That's the question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Would you all stand with me out of respect for reading God's Word? And we're only going to read five verses today. Um, But these five verses have tremendous ramifications for how we live and what we believe. So we're going to pick up in Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 25. It says, Then an expert in the law stood up to test him, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he asked him. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, he told him. Do this, and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Thank God for his word. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Father, as we consider this question and we consider the way that you answer, um, Lord, I pray that you would teach us today, um, that you would show us your love and that you would show us that love really is the basis for for all of it, for everything that we say and do. Love is the reason we have breath and love is the reason we have hope. Um, So, Lord, I pray today that you would help us to see your love That you would help us to see that um, on our own, we really have no hope. But because of what we celebrate at Christmas, because you loved us so much that you sent your one and only son. uh, Lord, we we can know love and we can have hope for a future with our God. So Lord, I pray that you would guide us into this time and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And I think Jesus here, he gives this three-part answer to the question. This three-part answer to the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And the first, first part is, he says that the way to eternal life is found in God's word. The way to eternal life is found in God's word, right? Verse 25, we find, it says, then an expert of the law stood up to, to test him. Now, this man was most likely a scribe. He was a teacher of the law, and that's what a scribe was. So, he, was, he stood up to test Jesus. Um, Now, he probably, in his own right, would have been an expert in these matters, uh, but we have to understand that questions like this would have been common at this time. It wasn't uncommon for different rabbis, competing rabbis, to, to take difficult questions and debate them in an open and public forum. Um, and just, I started thinking about what this would look like today, um, and I actually text Will Certain. You all know Will. Um, he's a pastor down the road at River of Hope. Will's one of my best friends. I love Will. Um, awesome guy. He and I, typically, we get, we get along great. Um, we have some disagreements, um, but I would argue that those disagreements are on secondary or even tertiary matters, things that are not what I would call gospel issues. Um, I believe that, I, I love Will. I'll just leave it at that. I love Will. I'm very thankful for Will and the impact he's had on my life and he's had in my family. Here a couple of years ago, really, whenever COVID first hit, he and I we got together and we decided we were going to do this thing that we called Pastor Talk. Uh, some of you may have watched it. Most of you are like Jerry, we just don't care. Uh, but we got together. We had fun with it. Um, we had a good time. Even if nobody else watched it, we had fun because what we would do is we would take a topic and he and I would just discuss that in what is today's open and public forum. We would go online and we would discuss these topics. And usually we we saw things on the same level. Like we we agreed on most things, um, but there were a few things we just Agreed on, and sure, we talked about those, and that was okay. We still, we still love each other. <laughs> so here's the thing: that we got together and we debated these things. Now there are some differences, but that's kind of what's happening here. This this scribe shows up and he starts questioning Jesus, basically trying to lure him into this pointless debate. Um, now, understand, I'm not suggesting Will and I are in competition Um, because we're not. As a matter of fact, we're on the same team, and we've discussed this on multiple occasions. Like, you know what? If Will wins, that means that the kingdom is winning, which means that we're winning. Um, If we win, that means that the kingdom is winning, which means Will's winning. It's the same thing. We're not really competing. So it's not quite the exact same thing, but that's the closest example I could come up with. You get a couple guys together to discuss these heated theological questions in this open and public forum. And that's kind of what the scribe is trying to draw Jesus into So it says he stood up to test him, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, the scribe acknowledges that Jesus is a rabbi. He calls him teacher. says, I know you're a teacher of the law. And then he asks this question. And a couple things. First, um, look at how the question is biased before Jesus is even given an opportunity to respond. Something we might miss at first. But you see how the question is biased. He says, what must I do? To inherit eternal life. Now the question itself assumes some things, doesn't it? It assumes that there's something you can do to gain eternal life. It assumes that, doesn't it? Okay. Um, In my opinion, and my understanding of what God's Word teaches, I believe the answer to how can I earn eternal life is this. You can't. Um, What must you do? There's nothing you can do. Um, That's the simplest answer. Now, that doesn't sound very hopeful. Don't worry, we're going to get to the good stuff here in just a minute. But what can you do? Uh, I don't believe there's anything you can do. But Jesus here, he indulges the question, right? And then we get to the second part. Um, and let's give this guy some credit. Let's give this guy some credit. He is asking the very question, again, that I believe millions or billions of people around the world are still asking today. I believe that there are millions of people, not all that far from us, who are asking this question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? What's the answer? What's the solution? So, he asks this question. Now, if that's you and you're asking, how do I gain eternal life? Um, Listen carefully, because Jesus is about to give the answer. He's about to show you. Okay, so verse 26, Jesus gives his response. He says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? See, what Jesus is doing here is he's saying, look, the answer to your question, how do I obtain eternal life? Where's the answer found? He says, what does the law say? He points it back to God's word. Like, you want to know how to obtain eternal life. Well, my first question is, where are you searching for the answer? Because if you're searching anywhere other than God's word, it's not the right place. The answer to where is eternal life? How do I obtain eternal life? Well, the answer is, open the book, know the book, because it's going to point you in the direction of eternal life. And that's what Jesus says. He says, what does the law say? He turns him back to scripture. So, that's how he starts. Further, he's telling him, um, look at the book. God's already revealed to you the answer. Uh, Now, I should also ask the question, can reading or memorizing the law by itself save you? The answer is no. No, it can't. Um, uh, Unfortunately, I've met some people who know the Bible, like know the Bible, um, but they would probably even tell you themselves they don't trust in Jesus for salvation. Um, So, can memorizing it, knowing it, can that on its own save you? The answer is no. No, but it's a good place to start because it's going to point you in the right direction. Um, And just so you know, um, proof that Scripture or the law itself cannot save you. Uh, Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, it says, We know that a person is not justified by the works of the law. Knowing the law can't save you. Doing the law can't save you. It said, the law, it shows us, it actually shows us a need for for the Savior. That's uh, what Romans chapter 3, verse 20 gets to. It says, For no one will be justified in his sight by the works of the law. No one will be justified by the works of the law because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. God uses his law to show us that we need help. Y'all need help. It's what we need. We need a Savior. And a knowledge of our sin comes as we look at the law. Warren Wearsby, he said it this way he said, There can be no real conversion without conviction. And if you start reading through the law and applying it to your life, you're going to see you've messed up. You have fallen short of God's standard. For salvation, there must be conviction. And God's law will certainly do that. Now, if you want to know how to obtain eternal life, stop looking at other places. The solution is found in God's Word. That's where the answer is. That's what Jesus does. He points him back to Scripture. And the best thing you can do for for a person is point him back to God's Word. Point him to the Gospel. Um, Romans one sixteen paul writes I'm, for i 'm not ashamed of the gospel i 'm not ashamed of the gospel because, because it is the power it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes first to the Jew and also the Greek. look, salvation or life it comes from the good news of Jesus. and where do we find that good news in god 's word? So point people to it. If you want life, think about what Jesus says. Um, where do, think about what Jesus says, Where does life come from? Where does a good life come from? In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus, he gives this story that we usually know as the two foundations, right? Um, One man builds his house on the sand. What happens to that house whenever the storms of life come? It crashes. It crashes down. It actually says, with a loud crash. Um, But if you want your life to stand, to withstand storms, where do you build? Jesus says, the one who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, that's the person who builds on the solid foundation. You want to know where salvation is found? Go to God's word. That's where it's found. The way to eternal life is found in God's word. Second thing he does here, though, is he, he, second part of this. He says, the way to eternal life is found in love. The way to eternal life is found in love. Verse 27, this scribe answers Jesus' question. Like, okay, what must I do? Jesus says, what's written in the word? Like, what does God's law have to say about this? How do you read it? And he says, in verse 27, he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. Now, this scribe, he knows he knows what God's law demands. He knows what it demands of them. He says you have to love God with everything that you have. And this is a quote from Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is a quote straight from the law. Here, Moses, he's just given the Ten Commandments and he's ordered the people to follow these laws if they want a prosperous life in the Promised Land. You want a good life? Do what God says. And this scribe, he rightly recognizes that this command, to love the Lord, is a summary of all the other commands. Life Life comes through a love for God because a love for God leads us to obedience to God. Where is life found? Well, it's in a love for God. And if we truly love Jesus, then we will obey Him. That'll play out in our lives. right? He says as much in John chapter 14, verse 21. He says, The one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. You love God, you'll keep His commands. That doesn't sound like it's too difficult, but we often have a... Oh, we say a different. I often have a disconnect. I love God, yet sometimes I... Sometimes, oftentimes I fail to keep his commands. Why? Well, I think that's because my love is incomplete. So Jesus agrees. He agrees. He says, love the Lord with everything. That's where life is found. But then he goes on and describe. he says, love God with everything you have. But then also he points to a love for your neighbor, right? Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And here again, he's quoting from the Old Testament. This comes from Leviticus chapter 19. And here, Moses is giving instructions. And this particular instruction deals with harboring anger or hatred against a brother. And here, whenever he gives this, he's actually talking about a fellow Israelite. I called Hunter out last week and, and kind of embarrassed him because then I didn't keep going. But it's like this. If I say that I love God, but I hate Hunter, I hate you now. Okay. He doesn't care. Um, anyway, if I do that, do I really love God? Yes, is no, because he's commanded me then to love my brother. And he's talking about a fellow Israelite here. If I don't love Hunter, uh, then it it reflects a lack of love for God. In the church, within the body, within the people of God, there has to be a love. And are we to love our neighbors as ourselves? Of course we are. And what does that really mean? Um, Does that mean that we are to love our immediate family? Well, sure we should, but that's not what he's talking about. Does that mean that we are to love... Um, love the others in the church. Well, yes, but I think it's bigger than that even. Now, certainly, we are to love those within church, and there's supposed to be a special kind of bond between those in the church because we have a fellowship around something that's greater than we have fellowship around even our closest biological family with, and that's Jesus. So, sure, there should be a special love between brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's why I call you all brothers and sisters. That's why we use that kind of language, because there should be a deep love for one another. There should be a deep love for one another. But look how Jesus applies it here in just a few verses. And he's talking about people who are not. They don't have the same background. They are, As a matter of fact, typically they wouldn't even get along. He's talking about a Jew and a Samaritan. And this is where we get the good Samaritan, right? He talks about this Samaritan who loves this injured man, even whenever these, quote-unquote, godly people wouldn't. So should we love all people? I would argue yes, we should. Now, should there be a special love in the church? Absolutely. But if we look at the way here he applies it, it means that we go above and beyond for the well being of someone else. That's what Jesus is talking about whenever he talks about love. And Jesus gives this example of the Good Samaritan. Um, this Samaritan man, not wanting anything in return, he gives up his time, he gives up his energy, he gives up his money to care for this injured man. Gives of himself, sacrificially. And that's what Jesus has in mind whenever he agrees and he says, You must love your neighbor. Even if you don't like your neighbor, you still have to love your neighbor. Um, (laughs) You know, I talk about my brothers too much, but I love my brothers. Um, I I got three of them. I love them deeply. Like, I I do an awful lot for my brothers. Sometimes I don't like them. Um, Sometimes I don't like my brothers all that much. Um, But you better believe I love my brothers. And I would give of my time, my energy, my resources to better my brothers. That's the kind of love we should have for one another. And Jesus agrees and he says, do this and you will live. Do this and you will live. Jesus didn't argue with him. He didn't say, nope, nope, you're never going to love good. No, he agrees. He says, yeah, if you do that, if you love God with everything you have and you love your neighbor as yourself, yes, you will inherit eternal life. He agrees. He says, do this and you will live. Now, stay with me for a minute because I'm not going to say that you can save yourself through your good works. And I'll come back to that here in just a minute. See, if love is commanded, then we must answer the question, what is love? What is that? Like most of us, we get this idea of love. And I think we have some concept of what love is. But um, one of my favorite sayings has become, words mean things. Thanks, James. Words mean things. And if we're going to start talking about biblical terms, we probably ought to use biblical definitions for those terms. Because what I've found is if you and I are talking about the, if we're using the same words, but we're using different definitions for those words, we may, we may be saying completely different things. So we better come up with a good answer for what is love and what is Jesus talking about whenever he agrees. Yes. Love God and love your neighbor. What is he talking about? So what is love? Well, I think the easiest way to answer that is to look at what is the proof of love. And we actually find what, what Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. and He shows us what the source of love is or how we can know there is love. He says, but God, God proves his own love. Okay, keep, follow, follow this logic here. God proves his love. How does he prove that love? He says, God proves his own love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What is love then? Well, if that's the case, love consists of giving oneself for others. Giving of yourself for someone else, for their benefit, certainly for friends. But here, understand, God's giving himself for sinners. Those people who were in rebellion against him. Not those people who were loving him in return. Not to mention, these sinners had nothing that they could offer Jesus, did they? God God has everything he could possibly want. The God who spoke the universe into existence doesn't need your help. He had everything he needed, but at the same time, he gave up everything for their good. Like, that's what love is. Giving of oneself for the good of somebody else, for their benefit, laying it down. If I could sum this up into one word, I believe Colby even used this while he was doing his meditation, is sacrifice. Sacrificial love, that's what we see here. So what do we do as individuals, as a church? Well, the answer is we give ourselves for the good of others. And that's the heart of what the church should do. Jesus gave his life for us. Why would we not go and give ourselves for others? Give of ourselves. So we give of our time, our energy, our resources, so that others might have a chance to inherit life also. So love requires or really is proven by the laying down of one's rights for the good of another. So then... Does that mean that if you love God and you love your neighbor good enough, you can inherit eternal life? Is that what that means? Um, well, that actually rolls right into our last part of this answer here. So we find that the way to eternal life is found in God's Word. It's found in love. And the way to eternal life is found in Christ. The way to eternal life is found in Christ. Verse 29, we get this fun three-letter word. It says, but. But. Okay. Okay. Keep in mind, described now, he has answered the question, how do I inherit eternal life? He's answered the question, it's by loving God and loving our neighbor. That's the answer. It's not good enough. He says, okay, so I know that's how you inherit eternal life, but, but wanting to justify himself. Wanting to justify himself. Now, we read this and we think, man, you just blew it. Like, you blew this, it was, you weren't even close, it was so close, you almost had it, but now you're a bonehead, and you said, but wanting to justify yourself. Okay, but see, here's the funny thing, we turn around and we do the same thing. Like, y'all do this too, I know you do, uh, I know because I, I certainly do, and I'm sure you're just like, I'm sure you're just like me in this. Um, very few people seem to get the fact that you just cannot justify yourself. Very few people seem to get that. I've come across very few people who are just like, yeah, I I know. I know I mess it up. See, we try, to, we try to say something along these lines. We try to say, well, um, yeah, I, I should, I, I'm good because, you know, I, I, I give to the needy. Um, I go to church. Um, I'm kind to those around me, right? I pray all the time. I even read my Bible. Oh, I'm pretty good. Like, I, I live a pretty good life. Now, some of you may not have ever said that, or may, maybe, and this one's the worst. I, I, it kills me over here. Well, it's not like I ever killed anybody or anything, Right? Y'all ever heard that, or y'all ever thought that? It's not like I killed anybody. Now, most of you are thinking, okay, well, I'm a better person than that. I know better than that. Okay, so I'm not going to say something dumb like that, okay? All right, fine. Well, I'm guessing that you're smarter than that anyway. But I'm just going to give you an example of how this plays out, even when we know better. Um, And this is something I'll just tell on myself, because it's the first example I could come up with. I did this a couple weeks ago, uh, just a couple weeks ago. And I remember doing it, and I hated it after I realized what I had done. I tried to justify myself. We were in an elders meeting um, and we were discussing some issues and um, I made a comment about somebody's priorities and said, well, their top priority needs to be this. Um, and one of our elders, um, very gently and graciously actually said, no, top priority has to be to glorify God. And my response was, yeah, but you know what I mean. I got, honestly, I got defensive a little bit defensive because I was being corrected, and he was right, and he was gracious about the way he did it. And what's funny is I, I later addressed that. Like, so that was on a Tuesday evening, and I addressed this on that following Sunday. And I told him I was like I was wrong, and I shouldn't have gotten defensive the way I did. And I tried to apologize to him. And the funny thing is he had forgot about it. <laughs> like he had not. It didn't bother him at all. It ate me alive that whole week because I, what was I doing? What was I doing? I was trying to justify my own mistake. I was wrong. I was dead wrong. And I tried to justify myself. I got defensive. And I said, you know what? Uh, I messed up. And after I did it, I knew it. But the conversation went on. Didn't get a chance to say sorry then. But later on, I did actually get a hold of him. And it just killed me. Like, you forgot all about it. Like, he had no idea what I was talking about at first. And he's like, oh, yeah, I do remember that. Like, it was killing me all week. Like, just eating me alive that that had happened. But how often do we do that? Like, we do something, somebody like just gently or even lovingly points out, like, hey, look, this maybe isn't right. And all of a sudden, we try to justify ourselves. Like, oh, no, no, uh-uh, uh-uh. And we try to back up. How often do we do that? We either rationalize our own mistakes, and really, I believe that this really comes from an attempt to justify ourselves. Like, well, no, I wasn't really wrong. Um, I think we do this all the time. And that's what this scribe does. He wants to justify himself. And then in the last part of verse 29, he asks Jesus, he says, Okay, since I want to justify myself, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And at this point, Jesus gives this crazy example of the Good Samaritan, right? People that Jews wouldn't often associate with. And Jesus shows that these religious people, they functionally ignored the problem. And they certainly uh, don't love this man, which Jesus says means that they are not loving their neighbor, right? The Samaritan is the one who loved his neighbor. So it made me ask the question, why then do we often not love those around us? Why do we so naturally hate those that we disagree with? Um, and why do we feel the need to put others down over sometimes even petty differences? Um, I'll contend it comes from a desire to justify ourselves. Uh, really, a lack of love. Um, and again, here's the thing. Why do we not love? Maybe it's because we don't know love. Maybe it's because we don't know love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, this is what John says. He says, The one who does not love does not know God, because God is love. If we know God, we know love. And if we know the love of God, then we will turn around and show that same love. And until we know the sacrificial love of God, we can't really love at all. We can do some things, but until we know this love of God, I believe we can never truly love. We might have something that imitates love or is kind of like it, but I don't know that we can actually love until we know God. Now, if that's the case, if we have to know God to love, let's just do the math here real quick. Some of you are thinking, I was told there would be no math. All right. Let's just follow, fine, follow the trail here. To inherit eternal life, you must love. Y'all got that, right? Okay. Now, you cannot love unless you know God. All right. Sounds to me like step one is not to love. Step one is to know God, right? Because once you know God, then you can love. That's why Christmas is so significant. Y'all realize that, right? How do we know God? How can we know God? Look, we can know some things about God from nature. We can know some good things about God just by looking around us. We can know some things, but we can't know God. How can we know God? And the answer to that, according to Scripture, is only through Jesus. How can you know who God is? Well, he revealed himself in this way. He came, lived a perfect life, died for our sins. John 1, 14 says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. If you want eternal life, you need to look to the Word. You look to God's Word, you'll see a need to love. And whenever you see that need to love, hopefully you realize you can't love until you know Jesus, because he's the one that reveals the Father. And then whenever we know God, then we can love. Then we inherit eternal life. The way to eternal life is found in God's Word, it's found in love, and it's found in Christ. Now, so what? Well, really, this is pretty simple, isn't it? Do you know Jesus? Because if you know Jesus, then you know God. And if you know God, then you know the love of God, and then you can share that love with those around you. How do you inherit eternal life? The answer is to know God. If the answer to the question, do you know Jesus, is yes, well, then here's what I want you to do as a result of today. I want you to love your neighbor. And what do I mean with your neighbor, the person across the street? Well, that's a good place to start. Um, That's probably a really good place to start. But it goes beyond that. It goes beyond that. Love those around you, those with whom you come into contact I want to urge you to give of yourselves for the good of those around you, even if those people disagree with you. Give of yourself. Lay down your own interests for their better, because God loved us while we were in rebellion against him. And when you know that, the offenses that others have against you, they suddenly become very small. Look, do you guys realize that we had an infinite chasm between us and God? Something that we could not overcome on our own. Yet God sent his love. He sent Jesus for us. Showed his love that way. So why do we love? Well, because he first loved us. And if the answer to the question, do you know Jesus, if the answer to that is no, well, then I have good news and I have bad news for you. Um, and I'm going to start with the bad news because we decided a few months ago if you have good news and bad news, always start with the bad news. So I'm going to start with the bad here. Okay, the bad news is this if you don't know Jesus, you're not going to inherit eternal life. You're not. You don't have hope. That's the bad news. But the good news is that we're celebrating the coming of Jesus into the world. Right? That's what Christmas is. Right? We celebrate the birth of our Savior. We're celebrating Jesus coming to the world. God revealing himself in flesh. And as a result of his coming into the world, you have a chance to know him. Not to know all about him, not to memorize the facts, but to know him. To actually know God. This is the greatest expression of sacrificial love. God gave his son. I was talking to somebody this week, and I said I was going to talk about love, and they were shocked that I wasn't going to preach straight out of John 3.16, right? You all know John 3.16, for God so loved the world. God, God loved the world. The world was in rebellion against him. God so loved the world that he did what? He sat there and said, well, you're all going to be doomed to hell. No, that's not what he did. He gave his one and only son. Look, y'all, I got three sons. I love my sons. I'm probably not going to give them for very many people. I'm just going to be honest with you. Um, Maybe that's because I need to be completed in love, but uh, I love my boys. I'm not going to give my sons for very many people. Um, God gave up his only son. His only son. Why? Because he loved you. Even though you were in rebellion against him, he gave his son for you. That's love. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, and whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Y'all, that's what love looks like. That's what love is. How do you inherit eternal life? Well, it's by looking to love. Love God. Love your neighbor. How do we do that? Look at God's expression of love. Gave everything for us. Gave all of it. So the answer to the question, how does a person inherit eternal life? The answer is this. How do you inherit eternal life? It's through a love of God which shows up in a love for your neighbor, and that comes when you know Jesus. So what do you need to do today? You need to know the King. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we, uh, we should probably start by saying thank you. Um, thank you for the love you showed us that while we were yet sinners, while we were against you, God, you, you loved us so much that you, you gave up everything. You gave up your son. Um So that if we believe in him, as we come to him, we have eternal life, um, Lord, for that we if we know that we'll be eternally grateful, so Lord, we thank you. we thank you for what we celebrate uh, this advent season at Christmas time that we look forward to the coming of Christ, and we remember the love that you showed us, and we look forward to the day when you come again, and we see that love fulfilled, and we see that love win over all things God, we just Um, we thank you. So Lord, today, um, I I pray that for those who haven't experienced the love of Jesus, for those who haven't come to experience your grace, I pray that you would, one, convict them of of sin, two, that you would show them that there's hope, and three, that you would show them that that hope is Jesus. And Lord, I pray that they would be saved from their sin for all eternity. Lord, we thank you for the celebration we've had already today um, as we, we got to celebrate with a new sister. Um, Lord, what what a good day. So Lord, I pray for many more good days as we look to the community around us, as we look to our neighbors and we share the reason for the hope we have. Um, Lord, we just, we just thank you. We thank you for loving us so that we might know love and we could love you in return and we could love those around us. Not because we're good, but because you're good. Um, so Lord, today we give you all thanks. We give you all praise, all honor, all glory. Lord, and we just tell you that we love you because you loved us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.